0: The Now That's Healthful podcast is hosted by Dr. Cassandra Christensen, RDH, MPA, EDD, an associate professor in the College of Dentistry at the University of Tennessee Health Science Center, and Dr. Lisa Beasley, DNP, APRN, family nurse practitioner, and assistant professor in the College of Nursing at the University of Tennessee Health Science Center. This collaborative podcast, Now That's Healthful, is an independent endeavor and any opinion expressed by the hosts are not necessarily the opinions of the University of Tennessee or its affiliates. All Now That's Helpful podcast content is created and distributed for information purposes only. Discussion among the hosts and guests is not intended to be used as health or medical advice. Please seek care from your health care provider, or if you think you have an emergency situation, seek attention from your local emergency service or facility. Hello and welcome to another edition or another episode of Now That's Healthful, a podcast for health and healthy living. And I am one of your hosts, Dr. Lisa Beasley. I'm a family nurse practitioner.
1: And I am your other host. I'm Dr. Cassandra Christensen, and I am a dental hygienist.
0: All right. Today we have with us uh, Dr. Christopher Pacabla. and uh, I'm going to get into his bio here Um So Dr. Pacabla is a board-certified, fellowship-trained orthopedic surgeon specializing in sports medicine, arthroscopic shoulder surgery, and shoulder replacement. He received his medical degree from Northeastern Ohio University College of Medicine. He completed orthopedic surgery residency at Ohio State University in Columbus, Ohio. He then completed a fellowship in sports medicine and shoulder surgery at Mississippi Sports Medicine and Orthopedic Center in Jackson, Mississippi, and the Tulane Institute of Sports Medicine in New Orleans, Louisiana. During his fellowship training, Dr. Picabla served as a team physician for Tulane University. He's currently an associate master instructor for AANA shoulder courses at the Orthopedic Learning Center in Chicago, Illinois. Currently he serves as the team physician for Arlington High School and as a preceptor for physician assistant students at Christian Brothers University. He is also a board member of the Memphis Medical Society. So welcome, Dr. Pacabla.
2: Thank you for having me here. That was that was quite a mouthful. It
0: was. You and you just got got well, you don't look quite old enough to have all those accolades. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I just want say that.
2: I plucked Um. the grays. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But no, seriously, thank you uh, for having me uh, on your program tonight. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Absolutely. And the group for which that you are a provider slash surgeon has recently had an addition in Germantown. And this is Germantown, Tennessee, folks, because we know that there are listeners outside of the state of Tennessee. So would you like to give a plug for this new location and discuss some of the benefits of this facility?
2: Absolutely. We uh, we have a brand new location here in uh, Germantown, Tennessee, which is just east of Memphis. Um, it has uh, a beautiful setup. Uh, one of the main advantages is the location. It's right off of Poplar, so it's easily accessible to the community. We're right next to Methodist Germantown hospital, which is a fabulous, uh, hospital in our area. We have physical therapy on site with specialized hand therapy as well. So if patients have hand injuries, we have therapists that deal with that as well. Our surgery center is also on site. So I literally walked downstairs from my office and our surgery center is right there. Wow. So, uh, uh, it, it, just the accessibility is amazing. Uh, we can coordinate care with our physical therapists who are on site. And and the last thing I would say is we even have a laboratory on site. So uh, it's a, a, a fully functioning surgery center slash uh, uh, office slash laboratory.
0: Well, and, and I went on a tour of it a couple of weeks ago, and I really was impressed by the the forward thinking of the design, like, for instance, like the patient rooms, the exam rooms, and how, um, you know, the doors are accessible if somebody's in a wheelchair, and, then, and they're the barn doors for the patient, but mm-hmm. then you have your own entrance out of this um, larger, I would say, pod area. I don't know if you're calling that a pod, but...
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think there's a... To, to your point, the, the forward thinking of the architects um, was for an emphasis on uh, privacy for the patients. And, and you can see that by having that central core and then each of the rooms separated such that there's really no interaction between each patient. Uh, they almost don't even see who's in each room because of the uh, the, the setup, the way that it was designed. And so uh, to me, that's, that's hugely important. Um, we, we want to respect each patient's privacy and allow them to be, uh, examined without worrying, Hey, um, there's another person that's looking in the room or who's watching me.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Well, I'm telling you the, uh, your bio is extremely impressive and, um, and it sounds like uh, this facility uh, is amazing, and, and a lot of thought has gone into it. Can you tell me a little bit about um, your orthopedic specialties? So, that was a lot mentioned in your, in your bio, but a little yeah, more. So,
2: yeah, yeah. So, uh, my focus is shoulder surgery and sports medicine. So, um it, To take you back a little, when when you finish your orthopedic uh, surgical residency, which is typically five to six years, you have the ability, if you want, to do further training and subspecialize in an area that you desire. So there's surgeons that do spine surgery, there's surgeons that do hand surgery, but I chose to do a year in sports medicine only. And so what that allows you to do is spend an intense year with other physicians who've been in practice for many years that specialize in that sports medicine area. You you get to be on the field with athletes. You're doing sports medicine surgeries 24-7 as opposed to general orthopedics. And it also allows you to to sit for another exam at what's called a certificate of added qualification in sports medicine. And I'm actually, uh, I took that test year few years ago, you know, the gray hairs aren't there, but um, I'm actually recertifying for that exam now. So almost 10 years later, I'm I'm aging myself
0: a little bit. Nah, (laughs) No, not at all. What is general orthopedic surgery, though? I I, I, maybe.
2: Yeah, it's it's kind of a a nebulous to some degree, because uh, I think if you talk to different surgeons, they may give you different answers. But uh, most General orthopedic surgery is what's um, uh, the, the training that you receive in your orthopedic surgical residency. So th- to give an example, uh, most orthopedic surgeons are well-trained with their five or six years in residency. So they don't need additional training, but if you wanna do some of the specialized um, procedures, for instance, like to, to pick on the spine surgeons, most general orthopedic surgeons are not doing spine surgery. Okay. So that's an example of where additional training is typically uh, necessary, not not all the time, but for most physicians, that's an area where you would specialize in.
0: Okay. So I've heard you speak before or teach actually at uh, the Tennessee Nurses Association dinner, and you're very enthusiastic about teaching. And helping us as nurses and providers, because a lot of us were nurse practitioners, uh, to understand, you know, when to refer, because as a nurse practitioner, if you're in primary care, you, you see all kinds of folks walk in the door with, um, I've got this, you know, pain in my shoulder, I've got this pain in my back, you know, back pain is like the number one, I think, used to be the number one reason that people seek care is back pain. For sure. Um, so, Your presentation was geared toward us particularly, but it included ways to treat shoulder injuries mostly, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was really impressed about the fact fact of your approach to treatment. So can you tell us about the most common types of shoulder injuries and like, what is your approach to treatment? So great,
2: great questions. Um, There's about five or six things that I see over and over again. And then there's uh, things that are a little more rare. Um, the, The most common thing that I see are injuries or disorders of the rotator cuff. I also see patients that have shoulder arthritis, whether that be the glenohumeral joint, which is the ball and socket or the AC joint, which is that little prominent bone on the top of your shoulder that you can feel where there's a little bump. That's, that's the AC joint. Uh, I also see patients that have shoulder instability and instability are patients that dislocate or sublux their shoulder. So you've heard of a, a football player injuring their, themselves dislocating where they had to pop it back in. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's instability. Um, and then there's also more subtle forms of instability. Um, and then I would say, lastly, uh, one of the more common things I see are disorders of the biceps and labrum. Um, and, and I see a lot of patients that injure those structures. Those, those are the top four or five that I see.
1: Okay. What is the, what's the average age of the patients that you see that come in with, say, the rotator uh, injury?
2: So I see all ages in my practice, but I would say for the, specifically for rotator cuff injuries, those tend to be patients in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and even older. I, that's typically not a, um, a, a disorder that you see in younger patients. Mm-hmm. Whereas opposed to instability, we talked about patients dislocating their shoulders. Right. That's typically the opposite. So more like 30s, 20s, and, and under. Now, having said that, people can do anything. So right. yeah. ne- never underestimate the power of, uh, you know, tripping and falling. So any, anyone can, <laughs> can, can injure anything. But if you had to generalize, um, arthritis is typically seen in older patients uh, mm-hmm. as well. But again, we see it. it uh, sometimes uh, I'm surprised when I look at the extra, I, I sit back and go, wow, I didn't know that patient was, you know, 25 or 30. They've got some mm-hmm. wear and tear there.
1: So um, do you see uh, this more in women than men, or is there any gender associated with some of these injuries, common injuries?
2: Some of the the, uh, uh, injuries you see predominantly in males versus females. So I see more instability dislocations in males, but males Uh also are out there playing rugby and football. Uh, So there's a little more trauma. Um, But but I really do see a a fairly even split uh, of male and female because we have so many female athletes today um, that are that are really pushing it and uh, training all the time. So I I would say I see I see pretty equal amounts of both.
0: So I remember you discussing um, and, and what I guess I was most impressed with, too, was, you know, most people when they visit a surgeon or they like the general public they, they feel like they're a surgeon they're going to operate they want to operate that's what they do <laughs> yeah but you um and I don't know this would have to be for different cases I'm sure and, and very specified cases but you advocated a lot for you know physical therapy first let's let's sure talk.
2: I have a great relationship with our physical therapist and I, I couldn't agree with you more in that regard uh the vast majority of orthopedic injuries and disorders can be treated non-operatively. It's, people don't realize it's relatively rare. uh, Now, occasionally there's trauma, there's Mm -hmm. infection, um, rarely oncologic or cancerous things that, you know, need, that's the first thing that needs to be done. But for the majority of things, uh, I believe uh, a trial of non-operative conservative treatment is indicated. And that may mean, medications, physical therapy, and occasionally injections to help relieve the patient's pain and get them back to function the way they want.
0: Right. So I'm going to tell you a story about what happened to me three or four years ago. And I know that it was from, and I know it was rotator cuff, you know, I'm a a nurse, I'm going to diagnose myself. So um, I have a heavy purse And you're probably like, yep, (laughs) that's it. And it it sits over to the right of me in the seat when I'm driving. And so when I reach for it, and I know no one can see me, but when I reach, I'm only reaching, you know, this certain, the certain way I'm not using my bicep. Like I should, I actually shouldn't even have been doing that. But I think the repetitive motion of reaching with that weight caused a, over time, a rotator cuff um, issue. It got to the point that it was so bad and I did not, I was going to come see you, I promise. Um, it got so bad that I had to use my, because this is my right arm, I had to use my left arm to raise my right arm. It hurt so bad. Um, I, I Continued to uh, continue to like work out very conservatively with that arm. Use it in such a way that it, if it hurt, I quit doing it. So um, I'm just wondering if in women, maybe more my age. You know, I'm only you know 20, but um, and and more my I'm 29. age. 29, 29 <laughs> at the most. Yeah. Uh, so is that like the purse thing, is that a big, a big thing with women? It has to be.
2: Well, I would say that your diagnosis sounds spot on. First of all, it sounds very much like rotator cuff. Um, You know, interestingly, uh, I have a a patient population of flight attendants. I had for a while because they were, they were picking up, all the time, and you had these, you know, smaller flight attendants picking up these bags and yeah. lifting them repetitively overhead. Uh, I was amazed to see how how many of them have uh, rotator cuff disorders, whether it's tears or tendonitis. Uh, so, yeah, that repetitive overhead lifting uh, can definitely flare up your rotator cuff, and um, uh, many patients experience that. So, you, you you're par for the course
0: yeah, I kind of figured I was. Um, this is you know, of course, after the fact. and it flares up every once in a while, but not to the degree that it was, you know, a few years ago. Um, so you are the first orthopedic surgeon to complete an image guided shoulder replacement. So can you discuss this new tech I, I assuming I'm assuming it's new technology and what's on the horizon in this field of medicine?
2: So I, I wasn't actually the first ever that's
0: um, right in Memphis I'm sorry for,
2: yeah just just the first in the Memphis area um, there, there's other surgeons that have have uh, successfully um, performed image guided shoulder replacement and, and it and I think it's a, an amazing new technology um, it it helps when you have these patients that have complex deformity um, and it helps you guide your instruments live during the surgery so you're planning for the surgery like you typically do we Mm -hmm. typically obtain a ct scan before we do a shoulder replacement anyway with with a 3d model or a 3d reconstruction but this takes it a step further so now the the actual placement of your instruments real time in space so where i put where i put my pen in front of the camera Mm -hmm. will be within the ct and it will show me exactly where I'm putting it within the patient's anatomy. So it's, it's, it's amazing. Um, and, and for those patients where it, you have a really challenging clinical scenario, that's where there's great utility there um, because it helps guide our instruments so that we can get the best outcome that we want for our patients.
0: So do, do patients have to be injected with um, dye or No. Okay. No,
2: they do not. Uh, the, 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 the technology uh, involves obtaining a CT scan mm-hmm. for, for this image guided replacement specifically, and then they make a 3D model. And so when you go to surgery, you're actually taking coordinates and you use this stylet like it looks like a pen mm-hmm. and you're, you're using those and there's a reference that is placed into the shoulder too that helps coordinate those to the CT scan. And so it has to make sure that it knows where it says it is. Um, it's getting a little technical here, but basically, uh, it, it guides you through the surgery. Uh, you already know where you want to be, but this makes it that much more precise.
0: I see. That's pretty cool.
1: It is pretty cool, it sounds, and it does sound very technical.
0: It (laughs) is, We're glad you're doing that and we're not. There's Uh, some training involved. Oh,
1: oh, I'm sure, I'm sure. The first in Memphis. (laughs) So so we've heard all about um, 3D printers and that you can make just about anything with a 3D printer. Yes. So how are 3D printers being used to advance science in orthopedics?
2: Great question. Uh, So we actually, just before I answer the question, we actually saw uh, the patient that we did the first one on, um, I think, two days ago, two or three days ago. And he is now two years out. This was a patient that had another very challenging clinical uh, situation where there was complex deformity of the bones. And so what these 3D printers allow is for you to plan again preoperatively the implants that you need prior to the surgery. So uh, it allows us to address these very challenging cases that we may have not been able to address previously by making implants that are custom matched to the patient. And so that's how we are able to uh, overcome these hurdles that previously we may not have been able to address.
0: So is there a whole company that makes those for you? I mean, y'all don't just sit there with your 3D printer and- My
2: PA Lacey makes them in her garage. She's got a (laughs) printer. (laughs) No, no, they're- Good for Lacey, I hope
0: she's making money out of it.
2: If she was, she she'd be doing all right. So there 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 are uh, there are several orthopedic uh, companies, and and there's actually uh, um, other areas of medicine that that 3D printers are useful for as well. Of course, uh, you know you'd have to talk to somebody in those fields, but um, yeah, they're they're amazing. It's a it's a very cool technology that allows us to again uh, uh, address these these very challenging clinical scenarios where the anatomy is distorted, it's complex, and it's not mm-hmm. typical like we're used to seeing. Um, so think about it, that that allows us to, to help patients that we may not have been able to help five, 10 years ago. That's
0: pretty cool.
1: Yeah, that is, that's pretty cool, that sounds amazing. So we've, we've talked a good bit about, about shoulders. Um, yep. What, what are some of the most common elbow injuries? So, uh, we, we see a lot
2: of sprains. We see a lot of tendonitis and also arthritis. So similar to some of the shoulder things we talked about. Um, and, uh, many of them athletes, but you know, some of them are just weekend warriors and, uh, some (laughs) of our elderly patients that just have arthritic conditions. So we see the whole, the whole gamut of, of, uh, elbow pathology.
0: You mentioned something about the bicep, um, earlier with that you, um, I think you did that. You, yeah. you, you see lots of, you see some bicep injuries. Can you elaborate on that? Maybe I, I, yeah, I, I
2: feel it. like I see a, a ton of biceps <laughs> injuries, whether it's a, whether it's in the shoulder or, uh, in the elbow. So the, the biceps muscle actually crosses two joints it crosses, you know, down in your elbow. Mm-hmm. You, typically, you th- most people think of their elbow as their, where their biceps is, but it actually goes up into your shoulder, And so it's crossing the elbow joint and the shoulder joint. So you can tear it at either end. Um, I, I see a, a fair amount of distal biceps ruptures, which is down by the elbow. Uh, when people are lifting things, actually, my, my two summers ago, my brother called me. He was lifting the jet skis for the kids, trying to get him into the water. And he said he felt a pop and I uh-huh. saw his arm, a deformity of his arm. Uh, and uh, he said, I, I think I just sprained it. And I said, no, Tom, you didn't just, <laughs> you, you just tore it. Wow. Uh, and, and so he needed surgery. So I do that surgery, uh, relatively common uh, for our group, um, and, uh, but I also see it in the shoulder as well. So a lot of people will tear it up, up top mm-hmm. in their shoulder because it crosses both. So,
0: so when it's okay, I've seen an injury where it looked like the bicep was like a Popeye. Yep. bicep. So that's what that we call a, it. A tear.
2: That is about, that is a full tear of the proximal biceps where it, where it basically slides down the arm. Okay. Oh, wow. and,
0: yeah. And a bru- bruising with it. There was bruising yeah. with it
2: absolutely bruising swelling deformity it
0: pain yeah it so sounds bad. like you've seen it. <laughs> it sounds like i have oh my gosh
2: yeah i um, saw it my brother <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you had to do surgery on that right then what's that you you did surgery on on him
2: so uh almost all of the distal biceps all fix unless mm. uh, th- there's a, a contraindication the the patient has a ton of medical issues they're not stable for surgery or I you know see. surgical candidate proximal biceps tears some of them can be treated non-operatively and, and that just depends on patient age their function medical status and also do they want to live with the deformity or not and I think just sitting down and talking to them, you get a lot of information about where you want to go with treatment options
0: because many patients
2: uh, are okay with non-operative treatment too.
0: Yeah, I, I would be. <laughs> um, so sports medicine, you mentioned it, and it's an interesting concept to me. And in looking at the definition, it seems that it's an area of medicine that focuses on prevention rather than treatment after an injury. But so can you clarify sports medicine as a concept for our listeners and how orthopedics can benefit patients in this specific focus?
2: Yeah, I think uh, sports medicine is always evolving. First of all, it's a very broad concept um, and it involves two different uh, uh, aims, in my my opinion. And, And the first would be, to your point, prevention. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a very important point. And that's been stressed over and over again. I think more in the sports medicine literature uh, and even at the professional level, you, you had uh, uh, mentioned earlier that I do some of the labs for Anna. That's Arthroscopy Association of North America. Uh, my PA and I actually just went to their annual meeting, uh, which they haven't had since uh, uh, the pandemic. It was the first meeting in two years was in Nashville two weekends ago. Mm -hmm. And they they uh, work closely with another organization called the AOSSM, American Orthopedic Society for Sports Medicine. And many of the lectures there were not about treatment. They were about prevention, Um, Mm -hmm. whether that's, uh, you know, limiting pitch counts for baseball players, uh, limiting how many times. Uh, tackles are occurring in football and and the correct way to tackle. So prevention uh, is absolutely essential to sports medicine, but also we know patients uh, and athletes get injured. And Mm -hmm. so the other arm of sports medicine is treatment and understanding the mechanism of injury and how we can help successfully rehabilitate these patients through surgical intervention uh, or non-surgical intervention back to the previous level of uh, their, their health and competition. All right. So that's what sports medicine is for me. And it's an amazing field. It's always evolving. You can read something new every night. And uh, we, we have uh, amazing uh, physician researchers uh, that were lucky to um learn from. Uh, and that's why I make it a priority to go to meetings like that. Uh, the, the, the one that we had two weeks ago, um, a very important meeting, a lot of research was presented, and uh, it helps me stay on top, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm telling you, I, I, I work with a group of high school kids who are, we do some mentorships for them, and several of them talk about sports medicine. So I think that that is one of those, uh, areas that has certainly gotten the attention of a lot of the, a lot of younger people who are interested in medicine, but are also interested in, in sports and athletics and perhaps being on the field and those kinds of things.
2: So. Yes. What a, what a great synthesis because you have, uh, you know, being a former athlete, uh, late back many years ago, uh, it, it's something that you get excited about, uh, and, and you don't lose that joy. I, 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 enjoy, uh, you know, in the fall, particularly, um, being on the field and going to, to the football games and helping take care of the athletes. Um, it's exciting, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and so you're combining, Two two passions, you know, your your passion for athletics and then your passion for medicine. And so, what what a what a great way to spend a Friday evening, uh, being around athletes, taking care of injuries, helping people in, in, through medicine. I mean, it's uh, it's the best. I agree. Yes,
1: <laughs> sounds pretty sweet. So I'm telling you, it's been so interesting talking to you this uh, this evening. What? What else would you like our listeners to know about orthopedics? Or perhaps uh, if they're referred to an orthopedic surgeon, you know, what can they expect? Because oftentimes people are concerned when they hear surgery or surgeons.
2: Absolutely. I can imagine there might be a little anxiety, right? Uh, a little bit. Yeah. I couldn't, couldn't imagine that. You're going to the surgeon. No. So I would, I would tell the listeners that the vast majority of orthopedic injuries and or problems, conditions can be treated non-operatively. So I I think if most surgeons would tell you over 90%. So when you're going to see the orthopedic surgeon, the likelihood is that you're not going to need surgery. Now, again, there are cases where you need to perform surgery to help those patients, but, um, to help ease their anxiety, I would tell them surgery is occasionally necessary, but the majority of patients can be rehabilitated without it. That that would be the one takeaway I would tell, um, your listeners to, to know that.
0: That's pretty cool. Good. So any other pearls of wisdom that you'd like to share with, with our listeners and with us?
2: Um, <laughs> I would say, uh, the biggest thing, at least for sports medicine, is uh, prevention uh, is number one. Um, you know, we, we understand that that injuries occur, and we're, we're certainly there as sports medicine physicians to treat our patients. But we would we would prefer prevention over cure, um, it, and and that's a, a passion for me uh, as well in my practice, educating patients on that um, because. No one, ultimately, no one wants to undergo the knife and uh, mm-hmm. surgery if if they can avoid it. And I think that's important for your orthopedic surgeon to understand that.
0: Yeah. So uh, and purse injuries as well, just uh, lighten the <laughs> load a little bit. <laughs> maybe maybe don't may put crossing. It in a,
2: seat. I, yeah. I can't. I don't know if I can cross that line with <laughs> my, my my wife. When uh, she she would tell me to mind my business if I told her which purse to. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well you had to I tell her, her. She, she was right about that coffee maker right that's right <laughs> I'm good at telling her that
2: yeah yeah <laughs> you were you were right honey yeah <laughs> yes
0: and and you know what I'm sure she is
2: so. <laughs> she is absolutely. an attorney
0: so. <laughs> oh, she, okay well there
2: you go <laughs> so she's actually always right <laughs>
0: absolutely <laughs>
2: Don't
0: put that on the air. <laughs> uh, okay, let me see. I'll have to edit that one out. So, uh, thank you so much, Dr. Pacabla. Um, so, our welcome. guest this, this, um, this episode has been Dr. Christopher Pacabla. He is with uh, Ortho South, and this is in the Memphis, Tennessee area. Um, he is an orthopedic surgeon specializing largely in shoulder injuries, um, bicep, and sports medicine, definitely. So again, thank you very much. And we appreciate your time and look forward to maybe another episode with you at some point in the future.
2: Absolutely. I'd love to. I appreciate uh, both of your time and y'all have a wonderful evening. Sure.
1: You too. Thank you.